get another. So tonight we are in Leviticus and we are going to be in chapters 11 through 15 in this section and the next time we meet together to look at Leviticus will be in uh, 16 which will be uh, the atonement chapter. Um, but as we begin let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in uh, this evening. Father we are uh, so so thankful for the gospel even with what we just sang. Not, not just words on a screen but Words from the hearts of your people, thank you so much for the blood of Jesus and for cleansing us so thoroughly, God. And as we even consider these chapters, we, uh, we lay ourselves before you again, Lord, and say, uh, help us. Uh, Spirit, come and preach the word to our hearts. We pray that it would bear fruit. And Lord, we know it's uh, four chapters in Leviticus uh, so so hard to tackle, so much there, but we do trust that your word will change us, and we do trust that we will hear from you. You, you love to, to minister to your people, and so we, we ask that you would come and that you would make Jesus uh, big to us this evening as we uh, seek you through this book. Lord, help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is the book of Leviticus about? We've, we've said this every week, I think, since we've started, and this is what we've said. Leviticus is about God graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in His holy presence. That's what the book is about. Leviticus is about, it's a good summation, God graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in His holy presence. Presence. Well, tonight we'll look at chapters 11 through 15, so if you haven't turned there, you can go ahead and do that. And we are looking at the theme of the laws of cleanness and uncleanness to see how that relates to the overall message of what we just said. So the question is, is how can the people of God know how to live in relationship with a holy God? Well, Leviticus helps us. What does it mean to be set apart as God's people. Leviticus helps us think through this very specifically. Well, before we begin on this section, I want to mention two helpful resources that I have leaned on extensively. The Bible Project, we've watched their videos. We're going to watch another at the end of this uh, study this evening. It's about a seven-minute video. have probably 15 or so minutes. We're going to watch that video, and then we can do some Q&A. But uh, I've been very helped by this second video, the first one you've seen and some of you may have seen this one. It is on Leviticus. And then the other is a, is a good brother, Jay Sklar, S-K-L-A-R, Covenant Seminary professor, has given most of his life to the study of Leviticus. And um, I've leaned on him heavily. So if you ever listen to anything that he's said or written, and you say that sounds a lot like what Jim said, I can't quote him everywhere, but just know that I have been helped and heavily influenced by by what he has uh, found on this book. Well, in an article written at the Gospel Coalition, Jay Sklar opens it this way. I wanted to share this. What happens when you study Leviticus for more than 10 years? 
I know the types of answers many people would provide. You get to know your psychotherapist really well. People stop inviting you to dinner parties. Or perhaps the most common is this a serious question, who in the world would study Leviticus for 10 years? Well, he says in this article I did, and it changed my life in ways far different from those just named. In my experience, four things happened. He noted these four things. All I'm doing is trying to stir you up to study this book. He said, number one, you hunger for God's holiness more frequently. Number two, you fear God more greatly. Number three, you love Jesus more deeply. And number four, you love your neighbor more fully. Well, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a bad effect, so I hope that continues to weigh your appetite as you think about the book of Leviticus. Well, as we said, Leviticus chapter 11 through 15, I drew the non-PC section of uh, this, this study, especially as we think about chapter 15. Um, but before we dive into these chapters, I think it's helpful if we just review and get ourselves situated in the history up to this point, okay? So I just want to do this briefly, and you can help me as we think about where we're at in Leviticus in the whole lay of the land. So Genesis, first book of the Bible, what happens in Genesis? God creates, right? And the catechism says, who made you? And we say, God made me, right? What else did God make? God made all things. Why did he make you and all things? For his glory. So he makes people... They're in the garden. They have His presence. Okay, They're fellowshipping with Him. They have His presence. So God's people in the garden with their God, and they enjoy His presence. Now, did they stay that way? What did they do? They rebelled against God. They sinned, and God said, you have to get out. And He kicked them out. They were banished because of their rebellion. But because of God's loving kindness, what did He do? He chooses a people... We get to Abraham, and the rest of the Bible really works uh, everything that he said to Abraham in that covenant. The nations will be blessed by this people, bringing people back to his presence. So that's a very simplified way, but he chooses a people, sets his love on them, and this family will be used to restore humanity back to God's presence. So now we fast forward to Exodus, next book of the Bible. Who's somebody in the book of Exodus that we all know? What's one of, who's one of the main characters in the book of Exodus? Moses. Okay, he shows up in Exodus. So when we get to the end of Genesis, we've got Joseph. When we get to Exodus, there's a pharaoh in uh, Egypt who doesn't remember Joseph or his family. And we've got slaves now in Egypt. God's people need to be rescued. And that's what God does. Moses shows up on the scene, and he rescues them. And we have him bringing them out of Egypt. Now, before we get to the promised land, okay, so I'm fast-forwarding quite a bit. The uh, uh, sea is open. They walk through on dry ground. He's rescuing his people. Where do they go before they go to the promised land? Where do they go? Mount Sinai, right? And they go there to worship God. And God tells them when he's there, this is how you are supposed to live. You are my people, and I'm telling you how you're supposed to live in light of the fact that you have a holy God. You're set apart, and you must live a certain way. Again, I'm simplifying it, but that's what happens in Exodus. Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and how I carried you to myself. So God brings his people to himself, and this is how you're supposed to live. If you're my people. 
so they can enjoy His presence again. And how do they do that? Well, God's presence comes to dwell with them in a tent right in the middle of their community. Again, I'm oversimplifying this, but it's a tabernacle. And in Exodus 25 through 40, he tells them how to build it. All the stuff that goes into it, he's very specific. So God's dwelling with his people again. But because he's holy, they just can't come in any way they want to, right? Because he's holy and set apart, the Israelites must be in a state of holiness when they come into his presence. And now we're in the book of Leviticus. As we said before, the theme of Leviticus, it's about God graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in His holy presence. And we've already touched base on several things that happened in the, in the other evenings that we had. We talked about the rituals, the thank you God, the I'm sorry God, those, those offerings. And it shows up even more in the book of Leviticus later. The priesthood. Hunter did an excellent job last week helping us understand that there are representatives for the people that go in to a holy God on behalf of the people into his presence. And this week we're going to talk about the purity laws, the laws of holiness, the ceremonial laws. How are God's people to live in relationship with God? Well, look at Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. Very central to all of this. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean, you shall not make yourselves unclean rather, with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. He just got done explaining clean and unclean. 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the crux of it. They're to be holy because their God is holy. Well, chapters 11 through 15 teach us about the ritual laws, cleanness and uncleanness, and my intent tonight is not to go verse by verse. I know you probably all would love to read Leviticus 11 through 15 together out loud, but we're not going to do that. We don't have time for that. I just want to give you a lay of the land, show you the mountains. I trust that you'll go climb those mountains yourselves. Um, But here's chapters 11 through 15 in summary. This may be in the headings of your Bible, but chapter 11 is the laws of cleanness and uncleanness. Chapter 12 is purification after childbirth. Chapter 13, we get laws about leprosy. Chapter 14, we get laws for cleansing lepers and cleaning your homes. And then chapter 15, we get laws about bodily fluids. Well, I'm going to get some of you to help me read some of these uh, portions of this chapter so that I don't do all the reading, but Leviticus 11, 1 through 8. Who would read Leviticus 11, 1 through 8? I've got a few others. Leviticus 11, 1 through 8. Trey's got it, brother. Again, clean, unclean.
Okay, so clean, unclean, uh, chapter 11, verses 39 through 40. Somebody grab that microphone and read. Who wants to read 39 and 40? Chapter 11, it's okay, I've got a bunch here. I'll start calling them folks. There we go. Thank you, Laura. So now we're not just talking about eating something, but we're talking about touching. Touching something makes you unclean. We'll talk about that more later, but chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Who will read chapter 12, verses 1 through 5? Chase. Very specific, real life. God's very specific about those things. Uh, let's read uh, chapter 13, verses 29 through 37. So that was purification after childbirth. Now we're getting into leprosy. Who will read about leprosy? <laughs> chapter 13, verses 29 through 37. Again, cleanness, uncleanness. Okay, I'll just read two, uh, two verses from chapter 15. It's 1 and 2. The beginning of chapter 15, The Lord also spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. This, moreover, shall be his uncleanness and his discharge. It is his uncleanness, whether his body allows its discharge to flow or whether his body obstructs its 
discharge. And then he goes on to talk about the things that touches the bed. That's just a sampling. Okay, y'all have probably read that. I would encourage you, if you have not, that you would go back and read that. But that's just a sampling of, we hear those words, unclean or clean. Clean, unclean. Clean, unclean. Maybe it says pure, impure. But throughout the chapters, this is clean, this is unclean. Right? If you have this, you're unclean. If you have this, you're clean. If this has come out of you, you are unclean. This is how you make yourself clean. On and on and on. That's big picture of those four chapters. Well, to understand the book of Leviticus, and certainly these four chapters, we have to understand what's meant by those words. And so this is kind of the, uh, the, the, the center of what I want to talk about this evening. So clean and unclean, usually when we think about those words, we think about hygiene. So I, 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 many, many commentators will use pure and unpure, and maybe some of your uh, uh, translations will say that. But when, we, when you hear clean and unclean, we're thinking pure and impure. Okay, these, in these chapters here, and later in Leviticus we'll get there, but in these chapters here, God is speaking about ritual cleanness. Ritual uncleanness. This is not moral cleanness or moral uncleanness, though there could be implications to that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But these aren't moral states. Okay, we have to understand that when we read through all of this, this is not speaking about uh, moral states. So if a person is in an unclean state, it doesn't mean that they're, that they're less godly than someone else. Okay, so if uh, Brandy was pregnant. She's not pregnant, okay? That's how rumors get started. But if she was pregnant, okay, and had a baby, according to this, she's unclean. Now, that doesn't mean that she's less godly than Grammy D back there, okay? That's not what this means. This is about ceremonial state, okay? So we, it, we have to understand that about these chapters. Again, there's implications to morality, but he's going to address moral cleanness later on in the book. But in these chapters, we're talking about ritual states. And so, let me get there. Um, no, I've already done that. Okay, well, there you go. It's not Ben's fault, it's mine. So, clean and unclean isn't about hygiene. And um, when we think about clean and unclean, Dr. Sklar, I'm going to lean on him again, everyday lay Israelites, okay, if we go back and we think culturally, because to us, uh, it's, it's hard to understand ceremonial cleanness or uncleanness because culturally it's just not something that we think about. But they thought about it. But the everyday late Israelite, what do you think their, their everyday uh, born state would have been? An everyday late Israelite would have been clean, okay? A pure state. And, and they, would, uh, they would go between states, okay? From pure to impure. From purity to impurity. Now a priest... Same thing, pure state, but they could go purity to impurity, but they could also go holy state. Okay, we've got Nazarite vows, those kinds of things. But I want us to understand that you, they would go between states, just like, just like we talked about, again, Brandy's not pregnant. If she was pregnant, she would be unclean, but, but this says that there's things she could do to make herself clean. There's a process by which she would become clean. Okay, so... Um, Impure to pure, this is going between states. You can see it up there. Impure to pure, sacrifice, bath, changing or washing clothes. And pure to impure, bearing children, touching a corpse. We read all those 
eating a rock badger. I, I mean, that, I'm fascinated by this. In Leviticus 11 in the ESV, there's an animal called the rock badger, and you're not supposed to eat it. So I don't know what it is, but um, we could probably Google it, but we won't do that here. But will someone read Leviticus? We're thinking about going from one state to the other now. Again, just to help us, Leviticus 11, verses 24 through 25. And then somebody else, you can see the screen, just kind of get, get to the next one and the next one because we'll just read these three together. Leviticus 11, remember we're thinking about going from impure to pure in this Leviticus 11. Hopefully I have that right. 24 and 25. Okay, so there's a, you know, you've touched the carcass, now you're unclean, here's how you can be made clean, this is washing clothes. Who's got Leviticus 12, 5 through 7? Anybody? Okay, we're not going to read Luke 2, but, but does that sound familiar? Remember Mary, the turtle doves? It's, it's oftentimes, I know for me, getting the New Testament, you're like, okay, New Testament, New Testament, but, but they're, they're, it's, they're dealing with this. I mean, this is what, what she did. She did Leviticus 12. Okay, we won't read Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 9, but it talks about how a leper is cleansed, the ritual that they go through so these categories or states guided God's people the community in how they lived with the holy God okay think consecration now I'm oversimplifying I'm oversimplifying this again for for all of us so clean equals pure equals fit for God's presence fit for public worship okay again we're thinking ritually not morally Unclean is impure, not fit for God's presence, not fit for public worship. So impurity happened all the time, okay? Again, it, we, we went back and forth. So I, I was sharing with Miranda at the, at the house earlier, um, you know, a, a gecko in here is, is unclean. And if you had a gecko in your house, it's a lizard, and it died and it fell out of the ceiling and it hit you, ah, you're unclean, right? Because you touched a dead, it, it fell on you, but you're, you're unclean. That's not sinful, Okay, there's, there's a process by, to be made unclean. What is sinful is if you go to God's presence in an impure state. If, if you say, I, I don't care about that, and you do that. So that's, that's what's sinful. And so when we think about um, clean and unclean, there, there are things you can do and things you can't do. Places you can go and places you, you can't go. So for example, if you were unclean, according to chapter 7, you could not partake in certain offerings. You can go back and read that. And you cannot also partake of eating holy sacrificial meat. So there's, there's things that you can and can't do. 
Well, this is, again, we're, we'll ask two questions. That's a, that's a big overview of, of, of those chapters. But what was it about these things that made them unclean? Maybe you're thinking that, you've read through it, and it's like, I don't understand why a rock badger is unclean, right? Like, I don't, what, what's, what's the deal with that and, and leprosy? We, we kind of understand that because it's, you don't want that. Uh, but having a baby, a godly woman has a baby, why is she, why is she considered unclean? Well, if we just started with the animals, commentators, I mean, there's a lot of things we've probably all heard, and we could go around and I could say, what have you heard about, why were the animals clean and unclean? Not necessarily that any of these are wrong, but they're probably the, all the ones we, we would talk about. That maybe some of it's because of what they ate, like their hygiene, right? The bottom feeders, like a pig is a bottom feeder, that what they ate, hygiene, maybe. Uh, some of them cultic reasons, like this is why a giraffe is, is unclean because someone might make it an idol. And there, was, there was idolaters that would do that, and so, uh, or insects, things like that. That might be true, and... Commentators are pulled on it. Um, another thought about it is that there was a nonconformity. So in, in Jewish world, when you're thinking about land, sea, air, and animals, what's the prototypical animal for the air? We might say, well, it's the bird, right? It, ha- it walks on two feet. It's the bird. Well, vultures are unclean. Well, why were they unclean? Well, because they ate flesh, and there was blood in that flesh, and that was a no-no. And so... I'm saying all that to say, and when they talk about nonconformity with animals, so, so that vulture wouldn't necessarily conform to the standard of what a, what a bird was, right? It's, it's a teachable moment there because when we think about nonconformity and cleanness and uncleanness, even though we're talking about ceremonial and thinking about animals, the, their standard was God. And, and so they were, they were always thinking about unclean and clean, standard God, holiness, even amongst the animals. But at the end of the day, I'll say this. Go study Leviticus. I need to study more Leviticus, but a lot of them say, we don't know. We, it doesn't say why something was unclean and something wasn't, what was clean. And so, uh, but those other things I read are certainly, certainly uh, being batted around. There's tension in all of them. God has his reasons and he's wise. But the bottom line is, if you abstain, you abstain from them, he told you to, to be separate from other. That, that's the point. The point is to be separate from the other nations. He told you to do this. So that's on the animals. Now, what about leprosy or having a baby or touching a corpse? Well, a prevailing argument on, or the rationale has to do with life and death. And God is also the creator of what? Life. And he's holy. He's the source of life. So touching a corpse is pretty understandable, right? It's dead. And so that was the thought about that. In childbirth, what? There's a lot of blood loss, right? Later on, we'll, we'll see that there's life in the blood. So blood loss, leprosy. You have leprosy for a while. You start looking like the walking dead, and it can make you look like a corpse. And so you have these thoughts about life and death, clean, unclean, uh, God being the, the, the standard. So that is, that is a very general I realize that's very general. We don't have time to go into all those. But I hope that whets your appetite to think about that. But there were real reasons. God is wise. He's holy. And he says, this is unclean and this is clean. And so they had to think about that. It was a teachable moment for them. They were constantly thinking about what was clean and what was unclean. Well, maybe the the purpose is a little bit uh, 
less fuzzy for uh, commentators and for us to think about. Leviticus 11.44, I read it earlier. This is really the, the center, isn't it? 11.44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on earth. Again, he's speaking about the insects there. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, God is the standard for life and behavior. God's people are a set-apart people, and no matter what God meant about what was clean or unclean, ultimately by avoiding these things, it set God's people apart from other nations. He wants His people to keep themselves pure. He wants them to be separate, clean before Him. And this clean, unclean pushes a, a, a maintaining of purity and abstaining from impurities. Look at Leviticus chapter 15. I had this in my notes. I didn't put it up on the screen. But Leviticus 15, it's in the uh, cleansing unhealthiness section. It's the same thing. Leviticus 15.31, it's the, the drumbeat, the, the cadence. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, so that they will not die in their uncleanness by their defiling. My tabernacle that is among them defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Again, it's the same thing as what we just read in Leviticus 11. God is holy. He is among them to be in his presence, public worship, there to keep themselves clean. That's why the dietary laws are not like the Mount Sinai diet or whatever, you know, gets sold to us today. They weren't about diets. It wasn't health-related. It wasn't about health. It meant to serve as a distinction between God's people and who they were going to dwell with, right? The Canaanites were idolaters, right? I mean, they were idolaters. And in that land, God says, I want you to be devoted wholly to me. It's also a reminder that holiness was to be in all areas of life. It's a reminder that holiness was to be in all areas of life. So another purpose, there's many, but we're not just talking about the sacred, right? We're talking about food, so what they ate and what was on their table, people in their house. We're talking about childbirth, We're talking about intimacy and health as we walk through these chapters. So it's very, very practical living from the ESV study Bible. By constantly calling the Israelites to ritual purity in all aspects of life, the Lord was reminding them of their need for also seeking after moral purity in all aspects of life. So it's teaching moments for his people too. So even though this is ritual uh, laws, ritual cleanness, it has a moral implication for them because it's teaching them something. This Dr. Sklar, we'll get to the gospel conclusion after I say this, but Dr. Sklar in his class, he taught on, he taught on Leviticus and he told his students at the very end of the study, he said, I want you to take one week, a journal, these four chapters, and I want you to follow these laws, cleanness and uncleanness. And, of course, it was met with, oh, I can't have bacon with my eggs or, you know, the, the clothes I have are uh, cross materials so I can only wear polyester and I only have two suits. It's going to be a, a weird week for me. Uh, but, but he said what happened when they all came back and reported is that most of them said what it did is it made them think about cleanness 
and uncleanness or purity and impurity every day when they did it. Not, not as a, uh, a means of uh, 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 gaining favor or building right, but it just made them think about what God required. And so for us, it's the, it's the same way. Not, not keeping those laws, but it, it helped them think through that every moment is holy because they serve a holy God. Um, so it's true. By constantly calling the Israelites to ritual purity in all aspects of life, that quote, the Lord was reminding them of their need for also seeking after moral purity in all aspects of life. Okay, well, I have two gospel conclusions. There's probably more. But as we think about all of this and trying to wrap it up in a, in a bow, what does this mean for us? Well, number one, in Christ, we are thoroughly cleansed. What Christ has done in His saving work has thoroughly cleansed us. Okay, these states are not necessary this way. We, we are not following the ceremonial holiness laws. With the atoning work of Christ, there's no more sacrifice. The sacrificial system has ceased for us. He has made purification. He takes our impurity away. Uh, Hebrews 1.3. But can, can I get someone to read Hebrews 1.3 and then someone go find Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 19. Hebrews 1.3. Somebody get Hebrews 10. We're just going to read these and have our hearts stirred by thinking about Jesus and his cleansing work for us. Amen. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 19. It sounded really good, what you were reading. <laughs> Amen. Amen. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, this is our Jesus. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then number two 
as God's people, we are called to holiness. Same God, right? Same God in Leviticus, same God today. First Peter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Many more gospel conclusions but what Christ has done, he has thoroughly, thoroughly cleansed us, purified us. Last quote, and then we're going to watch a video, and we are, uh, I'll read it to us. This is written by another scholar, Leviticus, Gordon Winham. In one sense, then the whole ceremonial law in Leviticus is so obsolete for the Christian, we are interested in the sacrifice of Christ, not in animal sacrifice. But in another sense, the Levitical rituals are still of immense relevance. It was in terms of these sacrifices that Jesus himself and the early church understood his atoning death. Leviticus provided the theological models for their understanding. If we wish to walk in our Lord's steps and think his thoughts after him, we must attempt to understand the sacrificial system of Leviticus. And I know we're getting there next week. This video will, will also take us there. But a uh, lot of stuff in those chapters. And I trust that it will fling your heart towards our Lord. If we wish to walk in his steps and think his thoughts after him, we must attempt to understand the sacrificial system of Leviticus. I don't know if we'll have time for Q&A. That wasn't on purpose, but I do want us to watch this video, and then we can, Jordan, you can come, and we'll figure out what to do after that. Ben, do I just, just flip over and hit it? The book of Leviticus, we know you've been avoiding it because it's, 